We all have questions about the Bible. At Milwaukee Chi Alpha, we want to take the questions we have about the Old Testament and use them to get us closer to Jesus and what we're calling the XA Learning Hour. And we strongly believe that if God is real, if what we believe is true, our questions will lead us back to Him. So let's start this journey in the XA Learning Hour, questioning the Old Testament. Does following God or following the law promise you a prosperous or a good life? So, um, going to the very basics of this, um, I was going to do one or the other of like following God or following the law. Um, does it promise a prosperous life? But like the more I thought about it, the two are really intertwined. So, if you to follow God, you should follow the law, and if you're truly following the law. It's because you're following God. And so that's why I decided to just combine them. And so for this discussion, when I say um, follow the law here, I'm talking about like basically the general idea that if I follow what God says in the Old Testament, or, or if I follow Jesus' teachings, that I'll have a prosperous life. Um, so the next part is what is a good and prosperous life? Um, so the way that I'm going to be using this uh, phrase in this discussion is taking it from Leviticus 26. So does someone want to turn there and uh, read that for us? Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves. And do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Observe my Sabbath and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting. And you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor, and make you fruitful, and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. That's good. Thanks. Um, so yeah, also we're going to be reading a lot of scripture today, so just be ready for that. Um, but so, uh, summarization, the best way I could summarize that passage is basically like, um, it's a life where harm is far away and good and God is close. So when I say a prosperous or a good life, this is like what I'm talking about. Um, so just generally, um, this idea that, oh, if I follow God or if I follow the law, um, that, I'll have a prosperous life. So it's 
texts like that. Um, there's other ones like Galatians six seven. My paraphrase is basically, um, you reap what you sow. So if you do like something good, something good will happen to you. Something bad, something bad will happen to you. Um, Proverbs thirteen twenty one says, trouble pursues the sinner, but the righteous are rewarded with good things. And so it's just this general idea that there's like a uh, cycle for what we do, um, kind of like, I guess, I don't understand karma, but the way people generally speak of karma, what goes around comes around kind of thing. Um, and it makes sense, like, if God is good, uh, and I do good, then he'll do good to me. So what I want to do to answer this question is kind of look at uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And so these three books are the wisdom texts of uh, the Old Testament. And so they look at what kind of world we're living in. And um, they look at what does it look like to live well in the world. Um, so, and I think to help us answer this question, these three books all together give us a really good picture of what the Christian life is really like. And... Um, also, it's just, I think, a good thing to look at what wisdom texts have to say to answer the question that we're looking at. Um, so before we look into them, just some background. Um, these books are um, different from the narrative of the Old Testament. So like um, throughout the Old Testament and a lot of uh, the New Testament, m most of the time it, it deals with Abraham and his family. Um, this line of this really long story of how God is using this one guy and his family uh, to bring the world back to him. And so these books, um, they come from this worldview, but the stories and themes are not mentioned in, the, in these books. And uh, the relationship between them is, like I said, um, they all talk about how should I live in the world? What is the good life? If I try to live wisely, what should I expect? Or what? Um, will God do for me if I try to do the right thing? Um, so I want to give you guys a snippet of each book before I start talking about it. So can someone go to Proverbs chapter 10 and read that, please? The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise child brings joy. Oh, I'm sorry, hold on. I've, this is my fault. So really pay attention to uh, what it seems like the message is going to be um, from these few verses that we read, and uh, look at the message that comes out of the other two books that we're going to read. So, sorry. Proverbs, uh, what? Ten. Pro Proverbs chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Okay. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise child brings joy to a father. A foolish child brings grief to a mother. Tainted wealth has no lasting value, but right living can save your life. The Lord will not let the godly go hungry, but he refuses to satisfy the craving of the wicked. Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. A wise youth harvests in the summer, but one who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace. The godly are showered with blessings. The words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. We have happy memories of the godly, but the name of the wicked person rots away. The wise are glad to be instructed, but babbling fools fall flat on their faces. People with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. People who wink at the wrong cause trouble, but a bold reproof promotes peace. Sweet. Thank you. 
Um, so next, I want to go to Ecclesiastes uh, and <coughs> read chapter 9 from there. So the subtitle for this, is, for this chapter is uh, A Common Destiny for All. Um, so I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have part in anything that happens under the sun. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of your meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, by time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that falls unexpectedly on them. So that's Ecclesiastes. Um, <laughs> um, so lastly, we'll go to Job. Um, this is chapter 26. Or 28, sorry. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore and the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft in places untouched by human feet. Far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Lapis lazuli comes from its rocks, and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it and no lion prowls there. People assault the flinty rock with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock. Their eyes see all its treasures. 
They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can it price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be brought with the gold of Ophir, <coughs> with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Kush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. Sweet. Thanks. Um, so what I tried to do was to pick a uh, chapter or a little passage from each book that uh, kind of embodies it, or at least most of what the book is about. And Job was a little harder. That was the best chapter I could find. But what were your guys' first impressions on just these three different texts from what you guys read? It seemed like the second and third one kind of contradicted the first one. Yeah. yeah. Especially the second one. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I really like Ezekiel 9 verse 8 in mind, it says, wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. <laughs> <laughs> Bible verse. <laughs> no. Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Uh, what? We don't know his name. He's just called Kohelet or something like that. Yeah, I was reading... The teacher. I was reading and some people think it's like Solomon or like yeah. the wisdom that came from Solomon, but sure. we're not a billion percent sure. Yeah, that's basically the general vibe that uh, reading these three is like, what the heck? They, it seems like there's a contradiction. And um, yeah, uh, Tim Mackey, who runs the Bible Project, um, or he's the person I know most from the Bible Project, he says... Um, Together they, and he's talking about these three books, uh, give a sophisticated account of human experience. If you just read one of them in isolation from each other, you're being too narrow and you're not hearing the whole of what scriptures say. Um, so basically these three all kind of build on one another and uh, essentially it's not just a black and white picture. Um, it's the human experience is not something that can be told super easy in a book and I think that's what these three try and uh, 
talk about. So um, I want to break down uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job uh, of like what they're like and what their purpose is and all that. So um, looking at the book of Proverbs, uh, the Bible Project says that these Proverbs are supposed to be a reference book that you return to time and time again. So something to note that's important about these is that it seems like these are more about probability and not necessarily promises from God. Um, they're guiding principles that we should definitely take heed of and um, put into place, but they're not guaranteed to work every time. And the exception to these guiding principles are what Ecclesiastes and Job is all about. Um, so many Proverbs describe the consequences of a particular action or a character trait. And uh, since they were written in instruction, uh, a lot of times they're given in the form of a command, which is like you see that in the verses that we read. Um, so while Proverbs is a practical book dealing with the art of like how to live, it bases its practical wisdom um, on the fear of the Lord. That's where it all starts. Um, throughout the book, reverence for God and reliance on Him are set forth as uh, the path to life um, and security. Um, so the fear of the Lord, that's like a pretty broad term. Um, and I like how the Bible Project put it. The fear of the Lord, it, uh, it's a healthy sense of reverence and awe for God. And uh, it's about our place in the universe. It's a moral mindset that recognizes I am not God and I don't get to make up my own definition of right and wrong, rather I should humble myself and embrace God's definition of right and wrong, even when it's inconvenient for me. Um, and so you see this uh, in the start of Proverbs, yeah, Proverbs chapter 1 and the opening line, uh, or the opening few verses, um, the last verse that kind of gets us into the rest of the book, um, chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So to kind of give you a summary of like what the Proverbs talk about, the NIV study Bible I use, I thought, put it in a really good way. Um, but I'm just going to read it instead of summarizing it. Um, so the major collection of Proverbs that follow... Uh, range widely across the broad spectrum of human situations, relationships, and responsibilities, offering insights, warnings, instruction, and counsels, along with frequent motivations to heed them. The range and variety of these defy summation. However, an, illust an illustrative section can convey the general character, moral tone, and scope of collections. In a variety of situations and relationships, the reader is exhorted to honesty, integrity, diligence, kindness, generosity, readiness to forgive, truthfulness, patience, humility, cheerfulness, loyalty, temperance, self-control, and the prudent consideration of consequences that follow from attitudes, choices, and or actions. Anger should be held in check, violence and quarrelsome shunned, gossip avoided, arrogance uh, re repudiated. You got it, repudiated. Uh, drunkenness, gluttony, envy, and greed should all be renounced. Um, the poor are not to be exploited. The courts are not to be unjustly manipulated. Legitimate authorities are to be honored. Parents should care for their proper in uh, instruction and discipline their children. And children should duly honor their parents and bring no disgrace on them. 
Human observation and experience have taught the wise that a certain order is in place in God's creation. To honor it leads to positive effects. To defy it leads to unhappy consequences. All life should be lived in conscious awareness of the unfailing scrutiny of the Lord of creation and reliance on his general providence, generous providence. So to sum that up, if you zoned out, um, basically, like, um, they talk about everything in the Proverbs. They, uh, in so many different situations, um, you get wisdom on how to deal with certain life situations. Um, so, in summary, Proverbs provides instruction on how to live wisely and successfully in the fear of the Lord within the theocratic arrangement. Yeah, uh, as you guys saw, like when we were reading, um, at least to me, it seems very formulaic and simple to have a good life. If you do a good thing, a good thing will happen to you. And if you do a bad thing, a bad thing will happen to you. Um, and these sayings that when you look at them, like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but we'll see that in these verses, a lot of them, there was like, well, that's not, I haven't seen that. And like I said, um, these seem to be more guiding principles. But then also, we'll get into Ecclesiastes now, um, which will cover a large amount of the exceptions to these rules. For people who are aware and know this book, there's like the author and the teacher. Um, I'm not even going to reference the difference. I'm just going to say the writer of the book. Um, so the, the writer of the book, he wants us to get, uh, he wants to talk about what is good for people to do within the limits of human experience and human observation. Um, he tackles not just like the cause and effect principles of the world, but he takes on the stuff that doesn't make sense a lot of times. Um, so, for example, like when the wicked prosper um, and the godly fall. And so, um, the start of Ecclesiastes uh, says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Um, which is this, if this is the first time you've read this book, it's probably a big surprise uh, that that would be in the Bible. And so... The big message from this is that uh, life is meaningless, or in Hebrew, it's hevel, um, and it's like it's like vapor. Life is temporary; it's it's fleeting, and it's also an an, an enigma or a paradox. Um, like smoke, it seems like solid, but if you try and grasp at it, it's just gonna disappear. Um, and essentially, like life is like chasing the wind. Um, so Bible Project talked about uh, if you want to chase wealth like go for it but you're just going to be stressed and then by the time you end up earning wealth you'll be too old to enjoy it um, if you want to uh, live for pleasure uh, live for the weekend that's cool go ahead and do that but Monday is always going to roll around um Anything that you want to make with a lasting significance, that's also going to fade. Arnie <laughs> 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 so glad you came today. <laughs> 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 you know? Uh, nothing really ever changes with human effort in the world. And finally, at the end of the day, 
if you're good, if you're bad, if you're rich, if you're poor, <laughs> if you're an animal, or if you're a human, we're all gonna die. You're gonna be eaten by a worm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Either worms are people. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is meaningless. So, out of all of this, there are some lessons to be learned, though. And so, uh, one of them, I think, uh, this is what my study Bible was saying, um, is to accept the human state as it is, as it's shaped by God's appointment, and enjoy the life that you do have and that you have been given to uh, your fu- to as fully as you can. Um, so that's one, kind of like accepting your limits and enjoying what you do have. Uh, number two, similarly, is don't try and trouble yourself with unrealistic goals. Uh, kind of, again, knowing your limits. And then three is... Uh, despite all of this, uh, the book still talks about we still should not be idiotic. We should still follow wisdom as leading. Um, and then the crazy thing, though, that I love, at the very end, so the whole book, he's talking about, I'll read the subheadings real quick. Um, Everything is meaningless. Wisdom is meaningless. Pleasures are meaningless. Wisdom and folly are meaningless. Toil is meaningless. A, a time for everything, oppression, toil, friendliness, a bunch of stuff. Friendlessness. <laughs> um, finally, at chapter 12, verse 9, the subheading in my Bible is the conclusion of the matter. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out the set uh, and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails, given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring judgment bring every deed into judgment, including everything hidden, whether it is good or evil. Um, so, I think it, number one, it's funny, but also like I love that after all this, life is meaningless, blah, 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 uh, he comes back to fear God and follow his commandments. So, that's Ecclesiastes. Um, Which I think I, I love you pointing out that ending because I think when you look at your main points that you pulled out, like, you know, accept your limits, all that, it's really easy for us to then take like a YOLO approach, like, you only live once, might as well do what I want, who cares about the world, and that also is missing the point, like, as we accept our limits, we turn to God and let Him, Him be your reasoning, let Him influence us as we go out and change the world. I always like say like um, like also think like life is even more meaningless about like Jesus like Jesus gives meaning yeah. and um, you know like you like you could taste all these things but like at the end of the day when you get like like get like if you get everything launched there's something you realize that you're still missing something and that's why I always say is like everyone has this jesus shape hole and trying to chase everything trying to fill it up but now now that's going to fit the hole because only jesus can fit it
So the last one we're going to look at is Job. And this is probably the biggest of all the books. Um, so I asked for grace because this is like, I had two weeks to prep for this. and Or I used two weeks to prep for this. And people, I'm sure, looked at this for a lifetime to understand it. So, um, so the setting and the perspective of the book of Job. Uh, essentially, what happens in this book is that we are posed with this one question through Job's story. What happens when uh, someone does follow wisdom and fears God, but experiences suffering? If God is good and just, then how can someone else who is good and just experience suffering? The, my study Bible says this theology, and when it says this theology, it's meaning um, that basically if I'm suffering, then I must have done something bad. Um, it's left innocent sufferers imprisoned in windowless cells to agonize over their crisis of faith. In the speeches of chapters 3 through 37, which is basically like the whole book, um, we hear on the one hand the flawless logic, but one wounding thrusts of those who insisted on traditional theology. And on the other hand, the writhing of soul and righteous sufferer struggling with the great enigma, even while being wounded, by his well-intended theological, theologically orthodox friends. Their learned theology had no helpful, encouraging, or comforting word for a truly godly sufferer. So it seems like the author intended this story to be for uh, people who are like Job, who are uh, godly sufferers struggling with a crisis of faith brought on by bitter suffering. Um, and the way the author, who we don't necessarily know who the author of this book is, but um, it seems like he took more of a sympathetic pastor approach, um, more than a detached theologian or philosopher, to answer the question of uh, suffering in this scenario. Um, he's heard the voices of the learned and what they have to say about God and his ways um, and what brings suffering, but he knows that these are miserable comforts uh, to those who are hearing them. Um, so this is from my NIV study Bible. It, quote, it only rubs salt in the wounds and creates a stumbling block for faith. Um, and so, uh, again, the NIV study Bible talks about uh, the author of the story doesn't have rational arguments to tell, um, but he wants to tell a story. So, um, in effect, he says to the godly sufferer, forget the logical arguments spun out by those who sit together at their ease and discuss the ways of God, and forget those voices in your own heart that are a little more than echoes of their pronouncements. Let me tell you a story. Um, so that's kind of setting up the book itself to give you um, some, a little bit of, uh, not background, but just what, uh, the setting and the perspective of this book is. Um, so now to talk about the book itself, uh, Job is a guy who is blameless, um, and he is, honors God, and he is righteous in his eyes. Um, and so one day, uh, Satan comes, and uh, he goes to God, and he challenges him, saying, uh, the only reason that Job is following you is because of the good things that you're giving him. 
and Satan says, like, basically, if you took away these good things, um, Job would not serve you. And so God says, okay, fine. I will allow you to take away the good things in his life. And, um, yeah, this begins a long back and forth between Job and his friends. Um, Job is utterly devastated. He loses everything in his life. And so some of his friends come to uh, bring, try to bring comfort to him. Um, but what begins is a conversation of Job defending his innocence and his friends essentially saying, like, you had to have done something wrong to bring this on to you. Um, and uh, according to the Bible Project, his friends represent the best of ancient Near Eastern thinking. And um, Job sees that these guys quote, cannot fathom the truth of his situation, end quote, from NIV Study Bible. Um, but Job is still kind of like at a loss, too. And in the thick of it, um, there's a chapter that essentially says, human wisdom is limited, and the supreme wisdom is to fear the Lord and shun evil, which, if you look at the beginning of the book, is what Job has been doing all this time. Um, and so... Uh, and that was a chapter we read, chapter 28. Uh, in the end, Job demands God to respond to all the suffering that he's going through. And so God looks, uh, God responds, and he talks about his divinity and how complex the world is and how big God is. And he asks Job if he's big enough um, to do what he does for a day. And like, essentially God flexes on Job. <laughs> saying like I in this universe are way too big uh, for you to comprehend let alone even run you can't accuse me of being unjust and so Job relents of his questions and he trusts God um, and then at the end of the book God restores everything that he lost which is not the point of it but it's just something to note and really interesting um, and so this book does not answer why we suffer but it invites us to trust God's wisdom when we do suffer rather than try to figure out the reasons for why we are suffering. And so uh, that's quick summary of the book. So looking at Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, um, I'm quoting the Bible Project. Proverbs showed us that God is wise and just. We learned that, he, that God has ordered the world so that it's fair the righteous are rewarded, the wicked are punished. In other words, you get what you deserve. But then we meet Ecclesiastes, who observes people don't always get what they deserve. He said the world isn't always fair, that life is unpredictable and hard to comprehend, just like smoke. And this is my addition. Um, and yet the, end, the book ends with saying, fear the Lord. Um, and then, quoting the Bible Project again, what we do know is that uh, Job is now the kind of person who no matter what comes, good or bad, he can trust God's wisdom. Um, so now that we've gone through these three books, I'm going to look at how these apply um, to following, to answering the question of following the law or following God. And so, um, yeah, so the, the first thing that I'm going to look at is how, um, because I think that these depict the nuance and the complexity of life as a Christian, um, 
and what it looks like to follow God in the law. So I want to look at how these three books are reflected in Jesus' life, um, who is someone who followed God in the law perfectly. And so just really quick stuff, um, how Proverbs was shown out in his life. Um, what I think of is the um, uh, scene where he is in, in his boat with the disciples, and he's asleep. There's a huge storm raging, and so he is at peace. He is calm, sleeping while everyone else is freaking out, and he easily rebukes the storm. Um, and that, to me, looks like Proverbs a lot working out in his life of like, um, because he's this righteous person connected to God, he is able to be at peace and easily remove the uh, attack that is coming on them. Um, and so, looking at Ecclesiastes how that's played out in Jesus' life. Um, he is betrayed and abandoned by his friends before going to the hardest thing that he'll ever face in his life. Um, and so in that one specific scene, it seems like the evil win and the righteous lose. Um, and then finally, how the book of Job plays out in Jesus' life, I think is just simply the cross. Um, Jesus was perfect. He deserved no suffering, and yet he endured all of it. Um, for our sake. And so we see that blessings and sufferings come in Jesus' life and ultimately um, he does enjoy the blessings of following God like he's the king of the universe um, but it comes with a cost. And so um, my second point to help answer this question is that um, we may as well use the wisdom from these texts to help us to answer this question. So um, does following the law or God lead to a blessed life? And we see here that in the end, every single wisdom text essentially says to fear God or to trust Him. Um, and a part of fearing God and trusting Him, that includes following God and following the law. Um, but we see that like fearing God and trusting Him, that's in every single situation, whether it's a blessing or a curse. Which means like just because we are righteous and good in God's eyes, it doesn't mean that we'll have a completely blessed life with no problems. Um, and so the Bible Project talked about like Jewish views on how the, the three wisdom books, it seems like they kind of contradict each other. And it was essentially that there is like one central message um, that is sometimes doubted, um, but you end up believing the main message is just like way more complex than you first thought. And that's essentially what I think the answer to just following God uh, lead to a prosperous life. Um, that's essentially what I think the answer is. There could be so much more said, but essentially um, going back to my summarization of Leviticus 26 of what, good, well, of what a good and prosperous life is. Um, it's a life where harm is far and good and God is close. And so after looking at all this, I think we can say like God, good and God is close when you follow the law or God. But sometimes harm isn't always far um, because God has a much larger, much more complex plan than we can comprehend. And he ends up using it all for the world's and our eternal good. Um, and so looking at Jesus, this is what he did and he followed God and the law perfectly, and yet he suffered so that we could be with him. So, there we go. Um, does anyone have any questions?
Anything? I think it's worth noting that um, when God is close, he doesn't always feel close. And I think oftentimes if we feel like he's not close, we assume he's not close. And that kind of spirals a little bit because we start to wonder, well, like, what am I doing wrong? But that's not always, that's not always how it goes. Like, Job felt like God was so far away and he did everything right. And Jesus at times, like, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he lived a perfect life. God doesn't always feel close, and it's not always because we've messed things up. with us live for the XA Learning Hour, come to the UWM Student Union, room W145 at 1.30 on Thursdays. Thanks for listening.